Chapter Seven of the Wheat Princess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Roystons approached Rome by easy stages along the Riviera, and as their prospective movements were but vaguely outlined even to themselves, they suffered their approach to remain unheralded. Paul Dessart, since his talk with Marcia, had taken a little dip into the future with the result that he had decided to swallow any hurt feelings he might possess and pay dutiful court to his relatives the immediate rewards of such a course were evident one sunny morning early in april he had been right in his forecast of the time palm sunday loomed a week ahead a carriage drew up before the door of his studio and mrs royston and the mrs royston alighted squabbled with the driver over the fare and told him he need not wait they rang the bell and during the pause that followed stood upon the doorstep dubiously scanning the neighbourhood it was one of the narrow tortuous streets between the corso and the river a street of many colours and many smells with party-coloured washings fluttering from the windows with pretty tumble-haired children in gold earrings and shockingly scanty clothing sprawling underfoot the house itself presented a blank face of peeling stucco to the street with nothing but the heavily barred windows below and an ornamental cornice four stories up to suggest that it had once been a palace and a stronghold mrs royston turned from her inspection of the street to ring the bell again there was this time a suggestion of impatience in her touch a second wait and the door was finally opened by one of the fantastic little shepherd models who haunt the spanish steps he took off his hat with a polite permesso signore as he darted up the stairs ahead of them to point the way and open the door at the top they arrived at the end of the five flights somewhat short of breath and were ushered into a swept and garnished workroom where paul in a white blouse his sleeves rolled to the elbows was immersed in a large canvas almost too preoccupied to look up he received his relatives with an air of delighted surprise stood quite still while his aunt implanted a ponderous kiss upon his cheek and after a glance at his cousins kissed them of his own accord mrs royston sat down and surveyed the room it was irreproachably workmanlike and had been so for a week visibly impressed she transferred her gaze to her nephew paul you are improved she said at length my dear aunt i am five years older than i was five years ago well with a sigh of relief i actually believe you are paul i had no idea you were such a desirable cousin was margaret's frank comment as she returned from an inspection of the room to a reinspection of him eleanor said you were puffed velveteen trousers you don't do you never had a pair of puffed velveteen trousers in my life oh yes you did said eleanor you can't fib down the past that way mamma and i met you in the luxembourg gardens in broad daylight wearing puffed blue velveteen trousers with a bottle of wine in one pocket and a loaf of bread in the other let the dead past bury its dead he pleaded i go to an english tailor on the corso now marcia copley wrote that she was very much pleased with you but she didn't tell us how good-looking you were said margaret still frank paul reddened a trifle as he repudiated the charge with a laughing gesture don't you think miss copley's nice pursued margaret you'd better think so she added for she's one of our best friends paul reddened still more as he replied indifferently that miss copley appeared very nice he hadn't seen much of her of course i hope said his aunt that you have been polite my dear aunt he objected patiently i really don't go out of my way to be impolite to people and he took the baedeker from her hand and sat down beside her what places do you want to see first he inquired 
they were soon deep in computations of the galleries ruins and churches that should be visited in conjunction and half an hour later paul and margaret in one carriage with mrs royston and eleanor in a second were trotting toward the Colosseum, while paul was reflecting that the path of duty need not of necessity be a thorny one during the next week or so villa vivalanti saw little more of marcia than of her uncle she spent the greater part of her time in rome visiting galleries and churches with studio teas and other lenten relaxations to lighten the rigour of sightseeing paul dessart proved himself an attentive cicerone and his devotion to duty was not unrewarded the dim crypts and chapels the deep embrasured windows of galleries and palaces afforded many chances for stolen scraps of conversation and paul was not one to waste his opportunities the spring was ideal rome was flooded with sunshine and flowers and the italian joy of being alive the troubles of italy's paupers which mr copley found so absorbing received during these days little consideration from his niece marcia was too busy living her own life to have eyes for any but happy people she looked at italy through rose-coloured glasses and italy basking in the spring sunshine smiled back sympathetically one morning an accident happened at the villa and though it may not seem important to the world in general still as events turned out it proved to be the pivot upon which destiny turned gerald fell over the parapet landing eight feet below butterside down with a bleeding nose and a broken front tooth he could not claim this time that marietta had pushed him over as it was clearly proven that marietta at the moment was sitting in the scullery doorway smiling at francois in consequence marietta received her wages a ticket to rome and fifty lira to dry her tears a new nurse was hastily summoned from castel vivalanti she was a niece of domenico the baker and had served in the household of prince barberini at palestrina which was recommendation enough as to the broken tooth it was a first tooth and shaky at that most people would have contented themselves with the reflection that the matter would right itself in the course of nature but mrs copley who perhaps had a tendency to be over solicitous on a question involving her son's health or beauty decided that gerald must go to the dentist's gerald demurred and marcia who had previously had no thought of going into rome that afternoon offered to accompany the party for the sake she said of keeping up his courage in the train as they were preparing to start she informed mrs copley that she thought she would stay with the roystons all night since they had planned to visit the forum by moonlight some evening and this appeared a convenient time in the roman station she abandoned gerald to his fate and drove to the hotel de londres et paris she found the ladies just sitting down to their midday breakfast and delighted to see her it developed however that they had an unbreakable engagement for the evening and the plan of visiting the forum was accordingly out of the question no matter said marcia drawing off her gloves i can come in some other day it's always moonlight in rome and they settled themselves to discussing plans for the afternoon the hotel porter had given margaret a permesso for the royal palace and stables and being interested in the domestic arrangements of kings she was insistent that they visit the quirinal but mrs royston who was conscientiously bent on first exhausting the heavier attractions set forth in Baedeker, declared for the latter in museum the matter was still unsettled when they rose from the table and were presented with the cars of paul dessart and m adolphe benoit paul's voice settled the question the city was too full of pilgrims for any pleasure to be had within the walls why not take advantage of the pleasant weather to drive out to the monastery of tre fontane but the matter did not eventually arrange itself as happily as he had hoped since he found himself in one carriage and marcia in the other 
at the monastery the monks were saying office in the main chapel when they arrived and they paused a few minutes to listen to the deep rise and fall of the gregorian chant as it echoed through the long bare nave the dim interior the low monotonous music the unseen monks made an effective whole paul awake to the possibilities of the occasion did his best to draw marcia into conversation but she was tantalizingly unresponsive the guide-book in mrs royston's hands and the history of the order appeared to absorb her whole attention fortune however was finally on his side mrs royston elected to stop on their way back to the city at st paul's without the walls and the whole party once more alighted within the basilica mrs royston guide-book in hand commenced her usual conscientious inspection while eleanor and the young frenchman strolled about commenting on the architecture margaret had heard that one of the mosaic popes in the frieze had diamond eyes and she was insistently bent on finding him marcia and paul followed her a few minutes but they had both seen the church many times before and both were at present but mildly interested in diamond-eyed popes the door of the cloisters stood ajar and they presently left the others and strolled into the peaceful enclosure with its brick-flagged floor and quaintly twisted columns it was tranquil and empty with no suggestion of the outside world they turned and strolled down the length of the flagging where the shadow of the columns alternated with gleaming bars of sunshine the sleepy old-world atmosphere cast its spell about them marcia's tantalizing humour and paul's impatience fell away they walked on in silence until presently the silence made itself awkward and marcia began to talk about the carving of the columns the flowers in the garden the monks who tended them paul responded half abstractedly and he finally broke out with what he was thinking of a talk they had had that afternoon several weeks before in the borghese gardens most men wouldn't care for this he nodded toward the prim little garden with its violets and roses framed in by the pillared cloister and higher up by the dull grey walls of the church and monastery but a few do since that is the case why not let the majority mine their coal and build their railroads and the very small minority who do care stay and appreciate it it is fortunate that we don't all like the same things for there's a great variety of work to be done of course he added i know well enough i'm never going to do anything very great i don't set up for a genius but to do a few little things well isn't that something they had reached the opposite end of the cloisters and paused by one of the pillars leaning against the balustrade you think it's shirking one's duty not to live in america he asked i don't know marcia smiled vaguely i think perhaps i'm changing my mind i only know of one thing he said in a low tone that would make me want to be exiled from italy marcia had a quick foreboding that she knew what he was going to say and for a moment she hesitated then her eyes asked what is that paul looked down at the sun-barred pavement in silence and then he looked up in her face and smiled steadily if you lived out of italy marcia received this in silence while she dropped her eyes to the effigy of a dead monk set in the pavement and commenced mechanically following the latin inscription there was still time she was still mistress of the situation by a laugh and adroit turn she could overlook his words could bring their relations back again to their normal footing but she was by no means sure that she wished to bring them back to their normal footing she felt a sudden quite strong curiosity to know what he would say next hang it marcia he exclaimed i suppose you want to marry a prince or something like that a prince she inquired why a prince oh it's what you women are always after 
having a coronet on your carriage door with all the servants bowing and saying si si excellenza every time you turn around it would be fun she agreed do you happen to know of any desirable unmarried princes there aren't any no why i met one the other day that i thought was quite charming his family is seven hundred years old and he owns two castles and three villages he wouldn't stay charming you'd find the castles damp and the villages dirty and the prince stupid he dropped his hand over hers where it rested on the balustrade you'd better take me marcia in the long run you'll find me nicer marcia shook her head but she did not draw away her hand really paul i don't know and there's nothing i hate so much in the world as making up my mind you shouldn't ask such unanswerable things look mamma aren't the cloisters lovely margaret's voice suddenly sounded across the little court oh there are marcia and paul over there we wondered where you had disappeared to oh the deuce paul exclaimed as he put his hands in his pockets and leaned back against the pillar i told you he added with a laugh that my family always arrived when they were not wanted they all strolled about together and marcia scarcely glanced at him again but her consciousness was filled with his words and it required all her self-possession to keep up her part of the conversation as they started on mrs royston suggested that they stop a second time at the english cemetery just within the gate marcia looking at her watch saw with a feeling of relief that she would have to go straight on if she were to catch mrs copley and gerald in time for the six o'clock train bidding them good-bye at the porta san paolo she hastily and emphatically refused paul's proposition to drive to the station with her no indeed mr dessart she called out as he was making arrangements with mrs royston to meet later at the hotel i don't want you to come with me i shouldn't think of taking you away my aunt will be at the station and i am perfectly capable of getting there alone really i don't want to trouble you he put his foot on the carriage step it's no trouble he smiled no no i would rather go alone i shall really be angry if you come she insisted in a low tone the young man shrugged and removed his foot from the step as you please he returned in a tone which carried an impression of slightly wounded feelings the driver looked back expectantly waiting for his directions paul hesitated a moment and then turned toward her again as if inquiring the way is there any hope for me he said she looked away without answering there's no other man he added quickly marcia for a second looked up in his face no she shook her head there's no other man he straightened up with a happy laugh then i'll win he whispered and he shook her hand as if on a compact stazione he called to the driver and as the carriage started marcia glanced back and nodded toward the roystons with a quick smile for paul End of chapter seven read by celine major